Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. So just a short little section as we, we bring chapter 1 to a close. Um, so here goes, verse 27. If you want to follow in your Bibles, you can do. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggles you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Father, we just commit your word to our hearts. And Father, I pray, Lord, just for for open ears and minds and hearts to respond. Father, just speak clearly, we pray, through me this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Fight Club. You seen the film? The first rule of Fight Club, they say, is don't talk about Fight Club. Now, listen to me, that is exactly what Satan would want you to do. Satan doesn't want you to talk to anybody about the difficulties or the problems or the challenges or the suffering that you're facing. He wants you to become isolated and alone. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this first chapter. So in verses 1 to 11, we heard that we are sons and daughters of our heavenly Father, enjoying the fellowship of the gospel. And we talked about what it means to love and to care for one another. If you've missed any of those things, you can catch them online um, on the podcast, either via the website, www.newfrontierschester.org, or on iTunes through Freedom Church Chester. If you do a search for that, it'll come up there. Then last week, we looked in chapter 1, verse 12 and 26. It says, we are servants of Christ. We are sharing in the advancement of the gospel. But Paul finishes this chapter by reminding us that we are also soldiers, defenders of the faith of the gospel. Listen, the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. But Paul tells us that you can have joy even in the middle of the battle. Most of us, of course, prefer to avoid conflict. In fact, we, we, we want to avoid it pretty much like the plague, to be honest. And, and we're wary of people who seem to be out looking for a fight. And I, I guess there's good reason for that because well, actually when we face conflict of any sort or any kind, it can be a dangerous place to be. But actually, it, it often brings out the very worst in us. We can so easily overreact. We, we tend to demonize the opposition. In fact, we find ourselves doing and saying things that we would never normally 
think, never mind do or say, and, and we can become so easily just proud and defensive. But there are things that we must fight, and Satan is perhaps top of this list. But there's a huge difference between fighting against something or someone and fighting for someone or something. And Paul says in here, in fact, he's encouraging us to fight for. And the thing that is really, really worth fighting for, he describes as the faith of the gospel. See that in verse 27, the faith of the God. What's Paul even mean by that phrase? What I think he means is this, is the divine truth that has been given to the church. To, it's, it's the word of God, it's the scriptures, but actually, in, it's actually particularly the teaching that is of first importance. It's a phrase that Paul uses elsewhere in scripture. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Elsewhere, Paul says, actually, I am only preaching Christ and him crucified. And for Paul, the very central, this, this, this key thing about faith is Jesus Christ, obviously, but also his death and his resurrection. This is so important as a church. And as churches together, we, we have a gospel-centered teaching ministry so that each generation of believers will know and appreciate godly truth, biblical godly truth. We must point people to Jesus. We must. I think me and Mark were chatting during the week about this, about about teaching, listen, we, 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 need, we, we, we need to keep coming back to the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to lift Jesus' name high. Listen, it is without, without Jesus Christ's death or resurrection, we don't have a gospel. It just doesn't exist. And if there comes a time when we are not proclaiming Jesus or not regularly talking about Jesus, we preach. You get me off to one side and you give me a good lecture, Okay? We need, we need to keep bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's an enemy out there who wants to steal this treasure from God's people, and we must fight that enemy. Of course, it's not a physical fight. This is a spiritual fight, and, and spiritual fights require spiritual weapons, prayer, God's word, but also we must depend on the Holy Spirit to give us the power that we, we need. But another major secret to victory is an army that fights together. See, if Satan can rob Christians of their faith and these distinctive values of the gospel, then he can cripple ministries. In fact, he can destroy entire churches. And it's so sad when we hear people say, you know what, it, it doesn't really matter what, what you say or, or what you believe as long as you treat people well. It's simply not true. It's simply not true because what you believe determines how you behave. And wrong belief, wrong thinking, ultimately, maybe not immediately, but ultimately will lead to a wrong life. The truth is that the local church is only really ever one generation away from complete extinction. Think about it. 
the next generation coming up does not believe the truth of Jesus, very quickly, we haven't got much church left. That is why Satan wants to attack our young people. We must be praying for them and encouraging them. They need to keep seeking after the truth of the gospel of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, where we want to go today is to look at three essentials for victory in the battle to protect the faith. The first one is this, godly character. This is verse 27, just the first part of verse 27. You know, the most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon, it's not even a powerful book. It is to live a consistent, godly life. And Paul's first instruction here, as you read at the beginning of verse 27, is to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Now, this gospel is a gospel, it's, it's all about generosity. And God's love to us, it's God's grace, it's forgiveness, it's the love that brought Jesus Christ into this world as he came here, as he lived a perfect life, as he died for our sins, as he rose again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. And as Christians... We need to show those same qualities. We need to live in that sort of way, in this godly way, the way that Jesus first revealed to us, even and perhaps especially to those who, who would oppose us. And what Paul is saying here, we need, we need to behave as citizens are meant to behave. Now, of course, what he means by that, we are citizens of heaven. We are heavenly citizens. That is where our identity should lie. That is the sort of citizenship that we should be coming under now to. The Philippian church, the people he's writing to here, they would have, under, they would have understood this sort of concept because Philippa was a Roman colony and its citizenships, its, sorry, its citizens, a lot of, lot of zzzz, <laughs> its citizenships are actually Roman citizens and they're protected under Roman law. In the same way, the church of Jesus Christ is an earthly colony of heaven. And we need to live as heavenly citizens. So that's why we need to walk worthy of the calling that we have in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4 verse 1. And that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That's Colossians 1 and verse 10. Now don't forget in all of this, this is not about you trying harder. It's not about you trying to be a better person or, 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 or trying to put a bit more effort into your life. That's not how it works. It is by grace that you have been saved. I hope most of you get this by now. We mention it most weeks. It's by grace that you have been saved. It's because of Jesus Christ, because of his love over you. So it's not that you have to behave in order to go to heaven, but because your name and your citizenship is already written there because of Jesus. The message of the gospel, this, this message of Jesus' death and resurrection is good news. In fact, it's the only way of salvation. There is no other way in which a sinner can become a child of God. It is only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and if we try to add anything to that gospel, 
or take anything away from that message, we will deprive it of its power. It's faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Nothing, nothing added. And grace, God's love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit demands that we live differently. And the very best weapon against the enemy is a godly life. So train yourselves to be godly. Train yourselves to be godly. I mentioned last week one of the key principles that, that, that we have is that we, that we are both simultaneously personally responsible, but also we are absolutely completely dependent on God to do the work in our lives. So we read verses like Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, which tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's us, yeah? We need to renew our minds as Christ works within us. You are to live out this process of being metamorphosized, as this total renovation of, of our values and our desires. But this is actually the exclusive work of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. It's not possible for you to transform a single cell in your body, never mind your life. You cannot do this. But what we must do is able to cultivate the environment for which the Holy Spirit needs to work. To train yourselves to be godly, to be obedient, to deal with sin in your life, to practice godliness every single day. Because your conduct, that's what you do, leads to your character, which is who you are, which actually leads back to your conduct again. And it keeps going, actually. It keeps going. Now, it can work in reverse, sadly, as well, but character leading to conduct, leading to character. And what we do, we are, and what we are, we do. And, and this godliness, more like Jesus Christ, is both given to us, but also something we need to really nurture within our lives. And if you practice this truth, if you live out what you believe, it's going to defeat the enemy. It's going to defeat him. And this is essential if you're going to be victorious in battle. The second thing that we come to is the whole idea of teamwork. This is the second part of verse 27. And Paul picks up this illustration of, of an athlete or a sport. Now, the Greek word he uses here is translated striving together, which gives us the English word athletics. And Paul's picture here is the church as a team. Now, this team looks more like a rugby ball team or a football team. It's not some sort of individual sport like golf or, or snooker. And you're called not to battle in isolation, but there's not, not some sort of individual tournament that you just can beat the next person. You somehow get yourselves up in the rankings. That is not the concept, not even for a moment. In fact, the very opposite is true. You are called to be united as one, a team. Sadly, church history reflects how much we struggle in this whole area because what generally happens, difficulties come into our lives and we tend to, to isolate ourselves. We tend to take ourselves off to the side. But it's always teamwork where the victory comes. 
the church in Philippi was a divided church. We'll read more about that when we get to Philippians chapter 4. And what happened there so often happens in, in many churches right across the country, right down through the ages, is that something happens, a problem arises within a situation, and, and people then begin to take sides and think, well, actually, you know, I quite like her, so I'm going to take her side. And then sometimes, I'm not so sure, actually. So, so they take, and, and before we know it, we have division, we have people fighting, we have, have strife building up within a situation. Listen, the enemy loves this. He absolutely loves this. He's always happy when there's internal division within local ministries. And you know what? We sometimes make it far too easy for him to divide and to conquer. It's only when believers stand together that we will be able to overcome Satan. That's why Paul says in chapter 1 verse 27 that that we need to strive together as athletes. I used to play a little bit of rugby when I was at school. I really quite enjoyed the game. It just somehow seemed to happen that the most of the teams that I was on, there always seemed to be two or three people who, who seemed to think they were a little bit better than everybody else. And we used to call them ball hoggers. You know what I mean by that phrase? These were normally fairly talented people, but you pass the ball to them, and they would never pass the ball to anybody else. They would try and run, and they would try and get through as many people as possible. Now, what sometimes happens, of course, is they would make some amazing runs and a few fancy footwork and break through the opposition, even occasionally score a few tries. But normally what happened? They were tackled. They were knocked to the ground, and they lost the ball. The consequence, of course, was as a team, we just didn't work together. Nobody really trusted anybody else, and nobody, if he didn't pass to me, I'm not going to pass to him. And sadly, it was reflected in the scoreline. We pretty much lost every game we played. Not quite, won a few, but we pretty much lost. Sadly, unfortunately, there are also ball hoggers within church as well. We can read about them right down through the scriptures, actually in the New Testament, John had to deal with a man called Diotrephes. In 3 John chapter 9, or verse 9, it says, a guy who loves to be first. Not a healthy place to be. Even James and John, you know, the disciples of Jesus, you remember the story where they, 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 they say, you know what, we want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, not just great. No, we, we want two thrones, one on either side of Jesus. We want to be the best. We want people to see us. Listen, that sort of thinking does not work well in a healthy church. The important word here is together. Together. And standing firm together in one spirit, striving together against the enemy, is, is to do this with one mind and one heart after Jesus. So the picture that you should have in your mind is of a church as a team of athletes. Each person, each person having a place and a job to do. And it's so important that everybody gets on with the job that they have been called to do. Helping one another out, there to support one another, watching one another's back as a team working together with this common goal. And this team is no different from any other team. There can only be one captain. By the way, his name? Jesus. Jesus. 
And as members of that team, we need to work together to support one another. We need to follow the rules. Scripture's our rule book. And together we can reach the goals. We can win the prize. We can glorify Jesus. But listen, the minute one of us begins to disobey the rules or to break training or, or to begins to look for all the glory, this team just disappears. People begin to fight with one another. Competition takes over. And Paul is once again reminding us we need to have this single mind in Christ to be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be single-minded on him. And there is joy to be found. Even as we battle the enemy together, if we live for Christ and the gospel, if we practice Christian teamwork, of course there's challenges within this. I'm not saying it's necessarily that easy. Paul wouldn't be writing about it if it was simple. We wouldn't need to be talking about it if it was that easy. But we are citizens of heaven and should walk consistently in godly character. We are members of the same team and we should work together. But the third essential thing for success against the enemy is confidence. This is verses 28 to 30. Have you seen the film? The War Horse came out a number of years back. And that film is a, basically a graphic and, and a disturbing picture of the, the horror of war. During World War I, many horses were used and actually lost in battle. And there are scenes in that film with horses riding into battle, some of them so terrified that they're shying away, that they're, they're backing away, even throwing their riders and, 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 and running. And that is the picture that Paul has in his mind as he writes these last few verses, 28 to 30. Now, of course, no one blindly wants to run into a fight. And at times, the enemy can be really, really frightening. But then no true Christian should deliberately avoid facing the enemy either. And the thing is, you have nothing to fear. Jesus Christ is victorious. Now, there are battles going on, and, 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 you know, and, and I know in many lives there are battles going on even at this moment of time, and those battles are difficult, they are challenging. I'm not saying for a second that they are easy, but ultimately this war has been won. Jesus won it when he died and when he rose again. He is victorious over all. He is Lord over everything. And yes, there are skirmishes and battles still to be fought, but ultimately, we are on the winning team. And in these last few verses of chapter one, Paul gives his friends and us three encouragements that should help us to be confident as we face battle. The first is this. Paul says, it's a sign. When God's people stand firmly together against gospel opposition without fear, it's a sign that confirms the truth of the gospel. Now, normally people will crumble and, and divide. They'll run away in terror when they are op um, opposed. But when Christ's spirit is within a believer, 
They can stand united and without fear against even the most savage of opposition. And Paul says, this is a sign that your faith is genuine. The fact that you're going through trouble at this moment, the fact that, that there's opposition coming against you, this is a sign that you are a genuine believer. This battle proves that you're saved. It's proof that you are a follower of Jesus because see, we're not only called to believe in Jesus, but we suffer with Jesus. That's what Paul calls the fellowship of suffering in verse 29. For some reason, so many Christians believe either through poor teaching or maybe wishful thinking perhaps, that when they come and put their trust in the Lord Jesus that all their problems will be dealt with and all the battles will have finished. Sadly, that's not true. I wish I could tell you differently. I really do. I wish I could say it. It's just going to be wonderful. But actually, there will be new battles. Yes, things will be dealt with in your life, but new battles will appear because of that step of faith towards Jesus Christ. In fact, when Paul writes to Timothy... He puts it very, very bluntly. He says, in fact, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's 1 Timothy 3, verse 12. Check it if you don't believe me. Will be. No, no possibly. Not maybe. Will be persecuted. But Paul says, take courage in this. He says, take courage in this because this is a sign that you're truly saved, that you truly belong to Jesus. The second thing that Paul goes on to say is that suffering is a gift. And the majority of people in society, and I would suggest probably the majority of Christians don't think this way at all. In fact, they see some suffering as something that's very bad. It's a curse from God or certainly something that we'd want to flee from and get away from at each and every opportunity we possibly can. But Christians should see it differently. In fact, the, the very heart of our faith is the cross of Jesus Christ. If you think about it for a moment, the cross of Christ, the most barbaric act that anyone could do to, to a man, is the very center of what we believe of our faith. And Jesus' suffering seemed like an absolute disaster to everybody who was looking on at that moment, to the disciples, to his, to his family. They thought everything had finished in that moment. But this was God's perfect plan to bring redemption into this world. And you are called to be like Jesus. I hope you know that. You're called to be like Jesus. In fact, Jesus speaking to his disciples in, in Matthew chapter 16, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So when you become a Christian, actually opposition is part of the deal. Again, I wish I could tell it differently, but we've got to preach what's in God's word. It's part of the deal. But amazingly, it is something that we can rejoice in. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not necessarily that's going to be easy. In fact, it may sound quite good in theory unless you're facing a daily pressure of hostility from someone close to you. This is a really, really big ask. If you're suffering for your faith, it can be hard to see how this could possibly be God's loving gift to you. And then we remember Matthew chapter 5. Verses 10 to 12, and there's a big, big promise in here from God. It says, blessed 
are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your rejoicing in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Paul says that the presence of conflict is a privilege. And we suffer for his sake, for, for Christ's sake. In fact, Paul tells us that, that this conflict is granted to us. It's, it's actually a gift. And if you're suffering for yourself, if you're suffering actually because of your own stupidity, there's, there's actually there's no privilege in that, of course. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. But when you are suffering for and with Christ, it is a high and holy honor. He is the one who suffered for you first of all. The one who gave his life for you. Surely the very least that we can do is be willing to suffer for him to show our love and our gratitude towards him. The last thought is this. Paul says suffering is normal. Paul the prisoner wants to encourage us to see that it's not unusual to suffer. And listen, suffering is not, I repeat, it is not a sign of God's displeasure with you, nor are you alone in it. In fact, the very opposite is, is, is absolutely true. This is something that God's people share together. At this very moment, Christians all across the world are suffering, many of them going through conflict that is probably much greater than anything that we will ever be able to suffer. But Satan would like you to think that you're alone in this. He would love you to think actually that the problems that you're going through are unique to you, that nobody has ever experienced anything quite like what you are going through. Of course, this is not true. It is simply not the case. And Paul reminds the Philippians that he is going through exactly the same difficulties that they are. He may be hundreds of miles away in Rome, but geography is usually no solution to spiritual problems. Human nature is the same the world over. The enemy is absolutely everywhere, and you cannot, you cannot escape it. And whether you move house or move church or move country, it's not the answer. Facing up to your struggles humbly by God's grace is. And God gives you the strength to stand firm against the enemy. In fact, he gives you all that you will ever need for battle so that you can go with confidence. And when you go through spiritual conflict, stand firm. And you will discover as you do this, you begin to grow more like Jesus Christ. In fact, you begin to grow in confidence. You grow in faith. And what the enemy fears more than anything else is a spirit-filled person who's filled with a God-given confidence. And surely knowing that other Christians are sharing in that same suffering and going through similar experiences surely is only an encouragement to each of us, and also a reminder that we should pray for them as we pray for ourselves. But it all comes back to this one fact. We need to be single-minded in Christ. That is the root. 
It comes back to Jesus once again to be single-minded in Christ. He is the only one who will enable you to have joy in the middle of battle to produce within us this consistent godly life, this confidence and teamwork that we can strive together for the faith of the gospel. And the question that we must ask ourselves, do we know Jesus? And secondly, are we following him? Is he the single-minded focus of our lives? My friends, he needs to be. He needs to be. He is our hope for now and for eternity. That's what we've been singing about. That's what we've been bringing in our worship. But God is truly all that you need. Jesus Christ is everything that you need. And Paul says, he reminds you, be single-minded in Christ, in Christ alone. Let's just stand and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's difficult sometimes. Lord, and these things are often easier to speak out than to live out. And Father, I just pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, Father, over my life, over my, my friends here, Lord, that you would help us to live out your word wherever we are, in our workplaces, in our colleges, in our schools, wherever we go, Lord, we'd work, we'd live out you, Lord God, wherever we are. I pray that in Jesus' name. So Holy Spirit, please just continue to work within us. Father, just show us areas that need to be dealt with. We bring them under the light of the gospel. But Lord, thank you, Lord, that we have hope. Lord, that because of Jesus, Lord, we have answers and we have hope. Thank you, Jesus, for your love over us. Lord, teach us to love you more and love you better as the days go by. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.